You often hear people use this phrase that God never gives you more than you can handle as encouragement when facing a trial. But as I know from my anxious spirals, that's not the whole truth. I actually can't handle the hardest things on my own without His grace. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope. I'm Robin, and I am here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. And we are thrilled to bring you today's story because y'all have asked for stories on anxiety for a very, very long time. And I really think since COVID, we've had a hard time finding them. And today we have Chancey Thompson from Memphis and her story on anxiety is fantastic. I know she really touches on some simple exercises you can do to overcome anxiety. I think this is a great story for you if you struggle with anxiety or if you know someone who does and you want to give them just some simple advice. We called her story the result of remembering and you're going to hear why in her story. Here she is. Before Chancey's story, we do want to remind you of our Bible study, When God Shows Up, which is an eight-week podcast-based Bible study. And y'all, I mean, Katie and Robin, you know, we have received such great feedback, not only from participants, but also the churches that have implemented this and their women's ministry. We are really excited. So if you are looking for a Bible study to start uh, maybe in February or even this spring, go to storytellerslive.org and consider When God Shows Up. If you want to order in bulk, then simply email us at info at storytellerslive.org and we can give you some special pricing. Here's Chancy. All right. Well, I'm excited to be here this morning. I just want to start by saying how privileged I am to to share this story of God's faithfulness in my life. I feel like as I've been thinking through it and remembering, he's just impressing on me how much my focus should be on him and not on myself. I feel like my story is, or my life is just a series of remembering all that God has done for me. And then like a dumb sheep, forgetting it and then remembering again. And so it's been really, really special for me to spend this time remembering. So last March when schools closed and safer at home orders were in place and I was trying to manage working from home while schooling or rather entertaining and trying to limit all day screen time for my kindergarten and three-year-old boys at the time. Um, My main escape was the streets of my neighborhood. Whenever I'd be feeling anxious or stressed or just worn out, my husband would say, have you been for a walk yet today? Uh, My walks were and still are so life-giving to me. They're a time to clear my head, to breathe fresh and unmasked air to catch up on Marco Polo's, to pray, to listen to podcasts, to reflect, and to get some credit on my Apple Watch. I'm a three on the Enneagram. I'm an achiever. So the credit is very important to me. So in that time, in the blur of what day is it, Wednesdays were always marked by the new storyteller's story notification that would pop up on my phone. And listening to other women's stories caused me to think about the ways I had experienced specific characteristics of God in my own life. Much of what I will share today is a result of the remembering that I did and I'm still doing as recently as this morning on those walks. So backing up to the beginning, I grew up in a loving, stable home in a smallish city, Columbus, Georgia, where everyone knew me and my parents and their parents. 
And my reputation was that of a teacher's pet in lower school. And by high school, I was the one whom your parents checked to see who was going to the party before they gave you permission to go. I was at my church every time the doors were open and I made sure my parents took me on the days that I may have rather slept in. I loved to serve and to lead and was often chose for to be in charge of things and for and for roles like the youth representative for the pastor nominating committee at my church, which is important as well. I had and still have a little brother just three years younger, who differed from me in many ways. He was way more laid back, far less legalistic, to name a couple. Um, I identified in many ways to the older brother parable in the Bible, and I showed little grace for him or anyone who wasn't following the rules. My parents, who were not super serious students and sowed their own oats in their youth, often asked, where did you come from? The truth is I liked doing what I was supposed to do. I loved to achieve and the internal pressure I placed on myself was plenty of motivation to perform well. I knew a lot about God. And like I said, I was very active in my church and other faith-based organizations, but my head and my heart didn't always connect growing up. I never doubted that God was good and that he loved me. But was it really that hard to love someone who played by the rules, made straight A's, went to church, served others? I don't think I consciously thought that. But looking back, I didn't deeply understand my sin and my need for God's grace. And I definitely fought the tendency to be quicker to judge than to love. So one of the areas that I know frustrated my parents and for which they had very little patience was my hypochondria and my fatalistic thinking. Um, My dad once told me that he suffered an appendicitis in fourth grade. So, of course, I feared I would, too. Every day in fourth grade, I was so freaked out I was going to have appendicitis at school. Um, A headache meant I had a brain tumor, a stomach ache, probably colon cancer. I Googled symptoms obsessively. One year, I even gave up WebMD for Lent. Like I knew this was an issue, but I couldn't help it. Um, Another year, I gave up reading Carrig Bridge sites of people I didn't even know. I avoided ever staying overnight in a house alone because I knew for sure someone would break in and try to kill me. So that's not ideal for someone whose husband travels often for work now. But God is definitely working in that in me. I could always make a self-deprecating joke out of this little quirk. But the anxiety was deep and real and consuming when at the worst. When I'd confess something I'd be worrying about to my mom, she would sometimes say, where's your faith? She could say that because we were super close, maybe even more so once I went to college and then moved to Memphis. And being my mom, she often knew me better than I knew myself. But not struggling with anxiety, she didn't quite understand how I couldn't apply my belief in his faithfulness to all the circumstances that I worried about. And I didn't either. I internalized what my counselor after college called false guilt. I didn't know why I always worried or felt so anxious when I had no real reason. I grew up in a stable, loving, privileged home, experienced no real hardship, had no family history of major health issues. My grandparents lived until their 80s or 90s. 
I memorized Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, present your request to God with thanksgiving, and he will, his peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind. I believe that, but I never experienced peace, especially when I was lost in my imagination of scenarios. So I remember one night, my husband and I were standing in the tiny kitchen of our first home. We had just gotten married. I had moved to Memphis. I had a new job, a new church. I didn't have real deep friendships yet. All of this change, though mostly good, had activated my anxiety, which, as usual, manifested itself in some physical symptom that I attributed to an impending fatal diagnosis. He listened patiently as I claimed that I knew God was sovereign and I didn't know why I was so anxious. And he wisely responded, just saying that God is sovereign is not comforting. He can allow any of those fears you just mentioned come to pass. His sovereignty doesn't mean he's going to do what you think he should do, even if you say he sh- that you trust him. So I thought about that a lot studying God's word, listening to sermons, seeking wise counsel from older women, I began to realize that God promises suffering, but he also promises to be God with us and to equip us with what we need when we need it, not for the potential scenarios that we or I create in my head. He doesn't give us grace for our imagination. What I mean by that is when I'm anxiously imagining what's to come, I don't imagine God being there with me. I can't experience his grace and the love that I'll feel from the people around me and the specific ways that he'll meet my needs. But he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. But in my rabbit trails of anxiety, it's just me alone, hopeless, and scared. As C.S. Lewis wrote in a letter, It is seldom the present and the actual that is intolerable. Remember, one is given the strength to bear what happens, but not the 101 different things that might happen. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. In my head, I knew these things to be true, but I think my heart needed to deeply experience God's provision and grace as I faced a real worst case scenario. On December 12, 2016, God began to shift my perspective in real and tangible ways. That day, I was sitting at my desk at work when I got a text from my mom, call me as soon as you can, with a little heart emoji, try to soften it. Sensing that something was wrong, I called immediately, and she shared the news that would change my life. She had a CT scan, which revealed a mass on her pancreas and lots of spots on her liver. Of course, she hadn't even told me about the mild abdominal pain she'd been experiencing or the fact that she was going to the doctor knowing that I'd worry about the worst case scenario. So in a blind haze, I walked outside in shock, asked a few questions, and then asked my parents if I could pray for them and for us. It wasn't until I walked back into my office that I burst into tears. And at that moment, I looked out my office window and just happened to see my best friend's car pulling into the parking lot as she had 
an alumni meeting at the school where she attended and where I work. She came in and she sat with me and she prayed. And then she insisted that she come stay at my house that that night, leaving her own small children because my husband was traveling for work. And I was in shock, but grateful because I'm independent and self-sufficient and I have it together. And I never would have asked her to do that, but she did. And from that moment, I was keenly aware that God provided what I needed when I needed it. In our initial appointment with the oncologist to determine a treatment plan, my mom didn't even think to ask about her prognosis. She didn't feel sick. She certainly hadn't Googled like I had, and she didn't believe the statistics anyway. But at the end of the appointment, I asked. Though explaining he didn't know for sure, the doctor responded, I'd say if you plan a a trip for Christmas or New Year's, you'd be smart to get travel insurance. This was in September. I quickly calculated the reality. The chance that my mom would be gone in less than a handful of months was high. Many thoughts flashed through my head, but mainly, how is this happening? There is no way I can live without my mom, I thought. We left the office, and I'm pretty sure after calling friends and family to relay the news, we went for a long power walk because fresh air and exercise helps fight cancer cells, and mom felt good. And the next year was like that. Lots of time together, long walks, creating new designs for her business, Snack and Jill, her trips to Memphis between chemo rounds, wearing a mask on the airplane well before mask wearing was the norm, playing with even keeping my boys, taking care of our whole family that Christmas when we all got the stomach bug, her positive, inspiring, scripture-filled updates on her own Caring Bridge site, that brought hope to the hundreds of people that read them. They're really like a devotional. Um, Multiple road trips, phone conversations at least daily, and through all of that, constant reminders of God's faithfulness. I had a front row seat to my mom's response of hope and faith to a terminal diagnosis. And I think so much of it was that she understood this was not about her. She was so focused on on God and his work in her life and the way that he would be, his gospel would be shared to other people through her. She knew that this was so out of her control, and I did too, that we couldn't even pretend to try to control it. And in that that way, I think it's easier to have faith in God. Some people would comment, Your mom always seems like she's doing great in her Caring Bridge posts, but how is she really doing? The truth is she was honest in those posts. And yes, there were some really hard days, but she clung to God's promises and possessed an eternal perspective. When people asked how they could pray, I'd ask for miraculous healing for my mom, obviously, but also guidance on where to be and when. I had two small children. My youngest was four months old at the time of my mom's diagnosis. I had a full-time job. My parents lived six hours away. Though the balance was tough, I always knew where I was most needed. I'm very relational. So one way that I experience God's love is through his people. I think we all experience his love through his people. And I think we've all been more keenly aware of that as we've been isolated during COVID, just realizing how much we need a body of believers and community around us. So God had built 
this community around me in preparation for this hard season in my life. He had given me uh, my sister-in-law and neither of us have sisters. We had both moved to Memphis. And so she's like the sister that I never had. We have children around the same age and um, it's just been, she's such a special gift to me. Had some dear friendships, some friends that I had met in a small group right when I got here. They're, they're my buddies. We, we are the ones who Marco Polo all day, every day with each other, but just, they're just a group who challenge and support and encourage and speak truth and love. And they were with me and we've been through so many things together and all through it, seeing God's hand and his faithfulness to encourage each other. Um, He placed me in a neighborhood, really on a street where I had these neighbors right around me who also had children around the same age. We'd be in the yard every afternoon. We still are. Um, And just supporting and loving each other. I had this Sunday school class of people who would be, who I don't necessarily see socially, but we um, again had walked through some tough things with each other and we're just praying with and for each other. Just such amazing reminders of God's God's body of believers in his church. I had work friends who had really become like family. I'm surrounded by men, boys. So, um, I mean, at this point, I have a dad, a brother, a husband, two sons. And so I worked at the time at a girls' school and was surrounded by women, coworkers, and all of these people that God has placed and had placed in my life were really women who were surrounding me and supporting me, aside from all the guys that I was kind of left to take care of. My college friends would check in, my friends from Columbus, and specifically Chuck Hasty, who's the pastor of my parents' church, who came right as I was leaving for college. But I had developed a special connection with him as the youth representative on the pastor nominating committee that called him to our church 17 years before. So he was there with my family. He was there with us through every every piece of it. And I knew him well and I trusted him. Um, and I, so I was at peace knowing, too, that how surrounded my parents were at home in Columbus. The community there is really unlike any other. I knew that God was working for my good and for his glory because there was no way, other way that I could explain it. Around the time that mom's health really began to decline, about a year after we learned of her illness and just six months before she died, my brother, who had been relatively absent due to his own struggle with addiction, began his recovery process. While that's a whole other story, um, I saw God's provision and grace in the way that God brought my brother to himself through his recovery. The peace my mom had about my brother's healing, even in her own death, and the restored relationship that he and I have experienced over the past few years. I'd spent years resenting him for the way he neglected our family and caused stress to us, but always seemed to land on his feet. Again, remember, I'm the big brother over here. I also imagined handling everything alone after my mom died. But God gave me this unexpected gift of a close relationship with my brother. He even moved to Memphis 
And right after he moved, he was working at this millwork company of our neighbors, whose main project at the time was at the high school where I worked. This guy whom I barely talked to now became someone I saw through the window almost every day. I never could have imagined my brother encouraging me with scripture, worshiping to praise music, challenging me to examine my own heart and what's really going on, as he says. God has taught me so much about grace in the past four years. In the months after my mom's diagnosis, I would wake up in a sweat, worrying and thinking about her funeral. I have another way my anxiety manifests at funerals or weddings. I would get so anxious and feel like I was going to pass out and then just cause this huge disturbance to everyone around. Again, I think part of that is just focusing on myself and not on God. So I feared when the time came for her funeral and I'm sitting there on the front row, I wouldn't be able to get through it, that I'd probably pass out from all the grief and anxiety. But remember, God doesn't give us grace for our imagination. He graciously walked beside me through months of letting go of my mom as she declined and her service was outside in a garden overlooking the Chattahoochee River with the brightest sun and the bluest sky you've ever seen was a time of hope and worship and gratitude. I didn't want it to end. A few months after my mom died, we visited my home church in Columbus and a lady who had known me since birth but hadn't seen me in years pulled me aside after the service. She said, I wanted you to know I'm praying for you. Sometimes the people who seem like they have it all together need the most prayer. I felt so known in that moment and so grateful that God had shown me how much I needed him. I grew up doing everything right and largely on my own, but I know that my capability and my illusion of control only goes so far. And a lot of times my anxiety consumed me, but no one would know that from the outside. I need his grace and to remember the presence of his spirit every day, every moment, really. You often hear people use this phrase that God never gives you more than you can handle as encouragement when facing a trial. But as I know from my anxious spirals, that's not the whole truth. I actually can't handle the hardest things on my own without his grace. And like the manna that God miraculously provided to the Israelites when they wandered in the wilderness, he only gave them enough food for one day. They couldn't save it up for the next day or the next week or the next year. They couldn't save it up for the what ifs because they didn't need to do that. And they couldn't because it would rot. And I don't need to. And I can't either. He even taught us to pray in the Lord's prayer for our daily bread. God gives us what I need when I need it one day at a time. I miss my mom daily and my anticipatory anxiety still creeps in as a result of my imagination. I still have moments when I have a pain in my side or even awaiting the results of routine blood work. I'm already beginning to plan my funeral before I even know anything's wrong. I think I'll always struggle with this type of anxiety despite medication in my face. But it's a reminder to me to remember. To, and I've really started that practice when I get into those spirals of remembering God's faithfulness, his grace, 
his provision in countless ways through this story and the other stories and people and experiences that make up my life. I happened to visit my OBGYN for my annual appointment when I was thinking through this story earlier this year. She's a family friend and actually the one who initially prescribed me anxiety medication when I first got married. And we were talking through a few things when she stopped and said, you seem really different. You're so much less anxious. I told her, you know, I've spent a lot of time worrying about the what ifs. And after living through my mom's diagnosis, her cancer journey and death, I experienced firsthand how God provides. When I remember that in any situation that I'm going through from today, tomorrow, whenever, but when I remember his faithfulness and what he has done for me, I do experience such peace. I can now say that God is sovereign, truly believing that he is with me in and through whatever comes to pass. He goes before us. He is with us, even and especially when it's my worst case scenario. You know, at the beginning of Chancey's story and there at the end, she spoke about that phrase that that you often hear that God's never going to give you more than you can handle. And it's a quote that's just often um, said that's just not found in God's <laughs> it's word. It's not true. <laughs> it's just not true. That God certainly allows things to happen that you cannot handle on your own. You need him to walk alongside of you. And that's really what her story was all about, was just learning how to remember how he has shown up when she needed him. When I shared my story years ago, one of the things I said was, you know, God is only going to give you what you need for your reality and not your imagination. She referred to that quote from C.S. Lewis that I absolutely love about strength that God's going to give you. And so, you know, I know so many people struggle with this topic of anxiety, and that's why this week in our Patreon community, I'm going to have an audio devotion on just that, anxiety. What does God's Word say about it? Is there anybody in the Bible that struggled with anxiety and what happened in their life? And so, ready to listen. <laughs> and so we're really, we're really going to kind of delve into that concept. So if you're not a member of Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash STL community. One thing about Chancey's story, as a mom who has children, more than one, that struggle with anxiety, and and this particular story, Chancey's experience, really reminded me of of one of my children. You know, I was that mom when our youngest daughter came and said, I have some anxiety as she's going on. I was like, what? No, you're fine. I mean, as someone who doesn't struggle necessarily with anxiety, it it was just very foreign to me. But for her, Chancey, talking about God's daily bread Mm -hmm. and the manna that he gave the Israelites Mm -hmm. just one day at a time, one day at a time. We often now have those conversations in my house about the the importance of what you're saying, Katie, is God is giving you enough for that day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I fall in the middle of both of these where I had never struggled with anxiety. This had not been a thing for me. So, again, it was foreign to, to hear these stories or to have people talk about it until March of 2021. And there really was a, a pretty serious time of anxiety that I had to walk through. And, and now you see why stories are so important, because there's so much sympathy that I now have for people that I did not understand before by walking through it. And when she talks about remembering, and you know, the title of the story is the result of remembering, it's so key because sometimes you do find yourself in that fog where you you don't know how to get out and and praying more is not helpful. Right. right. <laughs> Somebody telling you to pray more or to have more faith is just not helpful. But looking back and seeing where God has shown up before 
and believing that he's going to continue to do that is sometimes all you have to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And that and taking walks (laughs) really, really (laughs) helpful. And so, so thankful to Chansey for sharing this, for being willing to share on anxiety and the vulnerability. I know that you all have gotten so much out of this Mm -hmm. because you've been asking for a story like this for a long time. And so if you have friends or daughters or Mm -hmm. sons or family members struggling, we are always so thankful when you share our stories and also when you reach out and tell us how God has used them. And so if you want to share today, if you want to rate and review this episode on iTunes, we read those and it just may encourage someone else to listen to this and receive some hope. Thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye.